Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for the Group of Five in the FCS. Here to talk some Conference USA news with you, Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry, here with you as always. Hope you're having a merry and bright holiday season. Tough time of year for some folks. It gets dark, it gets cold, but, you know, Eric, our spirits are high as we get ready for bowl season, I think, here. Yes, Joe, I am right there with you. I think the biggest joy of the holiday season for me is actually bowl season. Not to say that I don't enjoy the holidays, Christmas and all the the things that come with it. But, you know, color me a uh, football nerd. I, I just enjoy the bowl season and everything that comes with it. And also that means, you know, in the NFL, it's almost playoff time. So that too. You're awakening uh, cheerful memories in my uh, in my childhood of waking up early in the morning, getting my parents out of bed to watch the Cheez-It Bowl. Of course, we all have that memory, I think. <laughs> the good old Cheez-It Bowl, yes. Um, I, I remember when the Cheez-It Bowl used to mean something. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I hate that critique of people who say there are too many bowl games or whatever. Like, it's fun. It's more football. <laughs> Listen, we can totally fall in the rabbit hole and get sidetracked on that one because I'm mm-hmm. right there with you. I mean, for me, it was – and I know you're being sarcastic about the Cheez-It Bowl because yeah, I can't remember yeah, yeah. What, it, what it was named uh, prior at this point. I should because it's in Orlando. But um, for me, it was the Outback Bowl. Like that was the game, you know, growing up in Tampa. Uh, Raymond James Stadium before that, the old Tampa Stadium. You'd always got a premier matchup because it's long been an SEC, uh, SEC Big Ten game. So, I mean, I remember, geez, going back when I was – five, six, seven years old, like Tom Brady uh, in Michigan, played in that game a fair amount of times. I want to say Auburn, Tennessee once or twice. So yeah, man, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, the holiday bowls and, and even, and even, you know, the non like power five game, not power five bowls, as we talked about, you know, any game that this gives more football, I'm about it. Oh, totally. And I mean, that's just another thing where we get to see these guys who actually like it's a big opportunity for them too. where after all the postseason awards come out and everything like this is actually their chance to like now that people have kind of seen who they are, whether it's the All-America list, All-Conference list, that sort of thing. It's like their chance to be like, okay, well, now that my name's out there, here's my last chance to actually put myself on tape. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Joe, really quick again, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but oh, sure. Um I don't mind, and I know I've seen this critique, the kids who skip the bowl games, I don't Mm -hmm. mind it because for me, it provides, I'll give an example, Tennessee playing in the Orange Bowl, Joe Milton, remember the hype coming out uh, around him, coming out of um, high school, you know, he landed at Michigan, I believe, to begin his career. I I like the fact that we're getting a chance to see in these premier bowl games, if you, a kid who has NFL potential, you want to skip, that's fine. We get a chance to see some other kids play in in a high profile moment. So I really like that personally. Oh, totally. And I mean, it's not just kids who are going to the NFL. It's uh, players who maybe get that opportunity to, you know, play more and actually be, you know, the star of the show, for lack of a better term, because either someone else is skipping a bowl game or uh, 
or just they haven't really had the opportunity to like be on like TV, which is kind of the case with, uh, you know, some of these G5 programs that you and I talk about on a regular basis. Exactly. Exactly. All right. I mean, with that, like speaking of conference uh, all-star lists here, let's dive into what CUSA put out for their postseason awards. Um, you know, to start with, I think we kind of figured some of these uh, awards were going to come down the pipeline and going to go to the players that they eventually went to. Um, no surprise, Dwayne McBride, Offensive Player of the Year, nation's leading rusher, uh, over 1,700 yards and really like just one of the best rushing performances a in the country this year, one of the best uh, seasons in terms of a running back in conference USA history, uh, 19 touchdowns in 11 games had uh, 7.35 yards per carry, which is just fantastic. And like, if, if this guy didn't get either the MVP or at the very least the offensive player of the year, it will like given that he's already kind of being snubbed for some of these other postseason awards, then, you know, at least he got this one. Oh, I mean, undoubtedly, Joe, I had not too much more to add there, just considering the fact that we, we know how talented Dwayne McBride is. I would have put him in, in the running for CUSA MVP. But with that being said, I understand why, you know, and I'm sure you'll, you'll get to it after we talk about Dwayne McBride, why Frank Harris won it being the best player on the best team. But no, undoubtedly more than deserving Dwayne McBride, easily the best offensive player in this league. Yeah, and you mentioned it. Frank Harris uh, selected the CUSA Most Valuable Player. Um, usually they give that to the best player on the best team. UTSA, obviously the best team. They win the league championship for the second consecutive year, finish at number 25 in the college football playoff rankings. And, you know, you know, I'm surprised that Frank Harris is coming back because I didn't think there was that much um, left for him to accomplish at the college level, but he accomplished a ton uh, this year, fourth in total offense per game uh, nationally, six in passing yards, six in points responsible for, I mean, the, you know, the local kid uh, pulled through and delivered on one, what he promised this year for sure. Yeah. Joe, I kind of jokingly tweeted out the other day that does Frank Harris have to graduate? Can he just be San Antonio's quarterback? Uh, <laughs> I think some people got that to be misconstrued because I wasn't saying that he didn't have more eligibility left. I just was saying, can he just be San Antonio's quarterback? <laughs> and you hit the nail on the head yeah. there with him being a local kid. I, I think that more than anything else is part of the reason why the UTSA fan base just really kind of wraps their arm around this kid. I mean, Joe, we had a chance to see him at CUSA media days and, you know, just a smile that lights up the room, magnetic personality. The what do you have? The gold shoes on that day, I believe. No, he had those like There's bright nothing. orange leather loafer kind of situation. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. No, no. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He did have loafers on. I think it was the cleats that I may have seen that were bright. Um, okay. when, they, when when UTSA came to FIU, it might have been that. But you're right. He had. They were. Yo, know, those loafers were fire. By the way. Um, mm -hmm. They looked very comfortable in comparison to the shoes I had on, but I digress. <laughs> um, you know, a lot to love there at Frank Harris. I mean, obviously UTSA has built a very successful situation there. And what a coup, Joe, for Jeff Trailer as that program heads to the American to have Frank Harris kind of spearhead them into the American. You know, I, I think that and we'll talk about this when we do a crossover pod with our uh, American folks as we introduce that new audience and some of the new teams, but mm -hmm. that has to put UTSA right there at the front of the back in front of the pack in terms of being a, a, a contender in the new American. But yeah, they just love everything about him coming back and he's definitely got some financial incentive as well with the NIL deal. So glad that he's getting rewarded in that uh, manner as well. So uh, everything about it, him coming back, I think is great and well-deserved on the CUSA MVP award. 
And not the only award winner from UTSA in those postseason awards. Uh, Kevorian Barnes playing running back for a lot of this year, uh, replacing uh, Brendan Brady kind of when he had some injury issues. But Barnes, the CUSA freshman of the year, um, carried 114 times for 713 yards, 6.3 yards for carry. Just played fantastic when they needed him to, which, you know, for uh, freshmen still, I think, don't get the majority of the playing time that uh, some of the upperclassmen get, which is understandable. But anytime you can come in as a true freshman and, and make these kind of things happen, that's that's exactly what you want out of a guy like Barnes. Joe, I had a chance to see him again. I referenced that game when UTSA came to FIU, and he just looked like a very, very talented back in a way that, uh, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about him coming into this year, you know, especially as, as, a, as a freshman. But I, when I saw him out there, I was like, wow, that kid is, you know, I guess I was surprised in the fact that when I knew that Trillion Smith and Brendan Brady weren't going to see the majority of the time, I thought the run game was really going to fall on Frank Harris. So to see uh, Kavarian Barnes's burst, um, him, Eddie Lee Marburger, you know, um, I'm forgetting the tight end, the young tight end as well. But to Dan see Dishman. that young, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, uh, to see that young nucleus for UTSA get some playing time, this was very impressive to see kind of what they have for the future. But with Barnes, far and away, in my mind, the best uh, freshman for uh, Conference USA. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. On the special team side, UTEP kicker Gavin Bakel, he's the special teams player of the year in the league, was a semifinalist for the Lou Groza Award, 22 of 24 on field goals this season, Uh, had a long of 54 yards, did not miss an extra point all season. So hard to be better if you're in that position for uh, the minors, they couldn't quite make it happen in terms of getting where they wanted to be as a team, but just a stellar season for the McKinney, Texas native. And he had a great year last year too. So, you know, I, I obviously kickers, one of the harder positions to get a starting job in the NFL, but I think this guy deserves some consideration. No doubt about it. You know, he's someone who's shown not only the consistency, but the leg as well out there in El Paso. So uh, not going to add too much more there. I just think in my mind, Joe, when you take a look at the special teams player of the year winners over the past few years, it's just showing a lot of talented specialists that this league has had. You know, when you talk about uh, guys who've gone to the NFL, come on, Joe, the the um, he's he just got a job too. Um, the rice punters escaped me. Jack Jerry, Fox. Jack, Jack Fox. Thank you. In Detroit, mm-hmm. you know, so many good um, uh, specialists really come out of this league. So uh, Gavin Beckel, no exception there. And then finally, on the defensive side of the ball, we kind of knew it was coming. We figured it was going to be him or one of the guys from UTEP's defensive line. But uh, given how well he played in the buildup to the CUSA championship game, Katie Davis of North Texas, he gets the CUSA Defensive Player of the Year award. He's the first uh, North Texas player. Uh, to win it since they joined Conference USA, which was back in 2013, for folks that don't remember that date, but uh, led the whole league in tackles with 132, uh, had three tackles for loss, had an interception, a sack, four quarterback hurries, was really just one of those guys on that defense that could really do it all when they needed him to. And, you know, I, I think you can absolutely make the argument if he ends up opting to go somewhere else, maybe goes to a place like Old Miss, like what he was uh, supposedly considering in the offseason. I don't think North Texas has anywhere near the success they've had this past year. Undoubtedly. I mean, you talk about the defense. I know I've talked about it a lot over the past few years. Them getting back on track. Phil Bennett, defensive coordinator, a big part of those efforts uh, on the field. A massive part of those efforts is K.D. Davis. So nice to see someone there who stuck it out at North Texas, you know, really homegrown product there and is been one of the better defensive players in this league for a long time. So I definitely think that was the right call there and uh, kudos and congrats to Katie. 
And on the newcomer side of things, we're going to transfer this, or rather, we're going to transition this into some transfer portal talk with uh, discussion about Austin Reed, the quarterback of the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. He earns the COSA Newcomer of the Year Award for what he was able to do there in Bowling Green. Um, completed 354 of 548 passes for uh, the highest total in the league in terms of passing yards there, 4,247 yards with 44 total touchdowns. 36 of those were uh, passing touchdowns, but as we've kind of seen from him, he's a little more mobile than um, some of his predecessors at that quarterback position at Western have been. And, you know, ultimately in a league where um, we had quite a few transfers coming in from all over the place this year, he would, in my mind, definitely stuck out as like the most significant in terms of impact. No, no doubt about it. I mean, I can't think there's anyone else in my mind who really comes close. As you mentioned, had some transfers, you know, guys like Amir Sadiq, uh, made first team all conference this year at, you know, Charlotte. That's one of them. Uh, Mason Richards, another one at linebacker, you know, for, uh, for North Texas definitely stepped up, but again, far and away, I, I don't think there's any doubt that Austin Reed was the best newcomer this year. And, uh, as you mentioned, a nice segue into what we'll talk about in terms of the transfer portal. Nice to see that Mr. Reed will be sticking around the conference. Yes, he did enter the transfer portal shortly following the conclusion of the regular season, but looks like he is going to end up staying. And it looks like Tyson Helton is also staying for the time being. There was some interest from Purdue trying to get the head coach of the tops to uh, succeed Jeff Brom, another former Western Kentucky head coach up in West Lafayette. But, you know, you got to wonder if... uh, the thought of, you know, Austin Reed keeping his options open to see if his head coach comes back or not. Now that it seems like that's a certainty, um, he's making that happen for himself. And while I think this is a, a really good thing for Western Kentucky, they get the guy who's already familiar with the system, has that chemistry built up with a lot of the uh, receivers, et cetera. I think it's a better decision in terms of his benefit, because in terms of the skill set he has, I'm not sure you can find a, an offensive system, at least in the G5, that fits better with what his skill set actually is. Um. Well, okay, that last part kind of threw me for a second because I I don't necessarily know that I would um I would agree with that part. I think uh, a large okay. part. I think I think a, I think a large part of what Western Kentucky does, you can find different variations of it across Power Five, and and when you bring in a guy like that, you're definitely going to fit him to your offense. But with that being said, I think everything else you hit the nail on the head. I didn't have too much of an issue with Austin Reed putting his name in the portal. I saw a little bit of consternation out of Bowling Green, which is expected, of course. You know, the, the kid comes there, he wins the job, and you're thinking you're going to have him for a couple of years, and then he throws his name in the portal, and it's like, oh, man, we're searching for a quarterback again. But mm-hmm. I think a large part of that was because of what you mentioned, with Tyson Helton getting some interest from other teams. I, Joe, this is uh, – I, I don't know how to phrase it. I don't want to use the word the, the, the term free agency again, sure. but I think it's just the play that you're going to see, especially amongst certain positions with the, you know, the, the transfer portal and the way you can kind of put your, your name out there and see the way things happen. If you're a player of Austin Reed's caliber and a large part of the reason you're at Western Kentucky is to play for Tyson Helton and you know, your coach is going to have some options out there. Why not put your name in the portal ahead of time? So, you know, those things can be initiated and then, all right, if things play out and your coach comes back, then, then you come back. I, I just, you know, that's why when his announcement of entering the portal came out, it just made a lot of sense to me. But with that being said, 
Uh, first off, very glad to see Tyson Helton back in the league. Anyone who uh, follows this podcast and follows UDD knows that you got a lot of Tyson Helton fans on staff, uh, myself, Joe, and Kevin Fielder included. Uh, and glad to see Austin Reed back in the league as well. So kind of that continuity there in Bowling Green, continuity for Hilltoppers fans is going to be a big thing. And and it helps to have that trigger man there at quarterback because, yes, they're going to lose some pieces. But if you got that in place, I think it, it, it goes a long way. I mean, first of all, when you look at – Helton in that offense that he's kind of built this year with uh, Ben Arbuckle and in the past under Zach Kitley. If a if if Tyson Helton does leave, I tweeted um, that if Helton does leave, you need to go get Zach Kitley to be the head coach immediately from <laughs> Texas Tech. And I will say two notable people that liked that tweet: Brian Ellis, the former co OC at uh, Western Kentucky, who's now at Georgia Southern, and Western Kentucky legend himself, Leo Peckinpah. I was like, oh. "Hey, now, okay." <laughs> so I've got some, I've got some people who are on my side with this. Some people might think, you know, I don't know if that's really where you want Kitley's first uh, job as a head coach to be, but I sure think so. But you mentioned like the fit of Austin Reed's skill set in terms of, uh, you know, Western Kentucky's offense. I guess who would you think would benefit in the G five would benefit from a quarterback, you know, like Austin Reed, given you know an air raid type system that Tyson Helton runs. In the G5 or Conference USA? <laughs> I mean, I, I, he's not going to go within the league. I mean, I don't think – like, if he did transfer within the league, because obviously, like, Louisiana Tech has that kind of system. We've seen it work some other places in the past. But right now, I don't think you can really make the argument that Western Kentucky, it, within Conference USA, has the best offensive system of that type in the league. So let's stick with the G5. No, that, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, this is just my own personal hot take, Joe. Mm-hmm. I would really like to see one of the schools in Florida try out the a variation of the air raid and add, without going on a, on a dissertation. And we're taping this on the day that Mike Leach has passed away. So, you know, RIP Mike Leach. But mm-hmm. uh, we've seen so many variations of, A, the Hal Mummy offense going to the Mike Leach offense. Mike Leach offense going to, you know, kind of what Tyson Helton is doing. So it's not quite the air your your dad's air raid, you know, with with Kentucky and Houston. I would love to see one of the the, the programs in Florida take a chance on being an air raid um, or a new age air raid team, just because of the athletes that you have in Florida. So uh, to answer your question, uh, I'm going to go with the Knights. <laughs> I mean, it could happen at some point. Never say never. I mean, not for Austin Reed's eligibility, but it could sure. happen at some point. <laughs> oh, man. You know, another uh, loss on the transfer portal. Well, I guess a loss on the transfer portal because they ended up keeping Austin Reed. Uh, offensive lineman Gunnar Britton, he is still in the transfer portal. Um, you know, it, it's tough to replace offensive linemen who start picking up experience like we've talked about a lot uh, recently. I believe Britton is uh, – I believe he's one of the last recruits from the Mike Sanford era, if I'm not mistaken. I need to double check that, and I'll do so in a second here. But um, he's he's played really well. I think he improved quite a bit. I know there was a lot of talk about some of the other guys on that uh, offensive line with you know Quantavius Leslie and Rusty Stats, but you know I was impressed with how he progressed, and that's a pretty darn good offensive line all the way through. I think um, certainly had some missteps along the way, but again. I think the second team all COSA mentioned that he got certainly helped improve his stock. So I don't blame him for testing the waters a little bit. Do not blame for testing the waters. And Joe, you know, as our resident Western Kentucky beat writer, 
there's a history of Hilltopper offensive linemen, or quite frankly, it's Hilltoppers in general, yeah. <laughs> heading to the Power Five, but especially across that offensive line. So, uh, you know, Coach Helton came on the podcast and talked about it last year that uh, there's going to be a premium on, as he termed it, big men, those offensive and defensive linemen. So, definitely will be intrigued to see how he goes about replacing the players who do leave. But yeah, I, in my mind, uh, I'll be interested to see where Gunnar Britton lands. I kind of like that, to be honest with you. I mean, we've we've talked about I don't want to rehash conversations that we've had long conversations that we've had about the way that offensive linemen get recruited. <laughs> but real quick, he was a Mike Sanford recruit, so I was right there. But guys that get recruited to play offensive line of the G5 typically didn't really even get like a lot of consideration from P5 schools, at least not to, you know, at least not to get like playing time within their first couple of years, if that makes sense. So now that they actually have the opportunity to like show that they can make early impacts on some of these programs and then get the, you know, possibly a better opportunity somewhere else. Like, I don't know. Good for them. One for the big boys. Yeah. Like you said, no need to rehash conversations that we've gone on in depth, but yeah. again, you know how, how I feel about Tyson Helen's approach to the portal and, and the way he does things. So definitely a fan. Uh, on the special team side of thing, another Trent guy in the portal still FAU punter, Riley Thompson. Listen, if you watched their game, Oh man, I, I'm trying to remember who it was against. Exactly. It might've been Western Kentucky. Um, I, I need to find the clip that I posted, but from a technical standpoint and, you know, take my expertise on this topic for what it's worth, but he is really accurate in terms of how he can punt. He had two punts land exactly at the one against UAB. That was the game. Um, like had two punts that were, I believe they were over 70 yards and landed like at the one, like he, he was a freshman all America, according to college football news, um, you know, and, and punters are one of those positions where the overall quality of the position across college football is increasing vastly over the course of the last decade or so. So, you know, I don't blame these guys playing that position for, you know, trying to get the the best, trying to get, uh, what's the what's the expression, get while the getting's good, I think is the old-timey expression. But, um, yeah, Riley Thompson, good punter in the portal right now, uh, very technically sound, and uh, there's plenty of film of what he did this past season that kind of shows that. Yeah, Riley Thompson, especially for FAU, they've had a pretty solid history of punters over the past few years. You take a look who they had. I'm forgetting the kid's name in 2021. It was the Aussie punter who who ended up going to the Power Five. Again, his name is escaping me right now, but they've had a really solid track record of specialists. So uh, Riley Thompson, no exemption. Uh, Not Aaron Sharp, Matt Hayball. There we go. Matt Hayball, who went to Vandy, uh, was the Mm. Aussie at FAU the past few years. So definitely a solid history of punting there in Boca, and we'll see how the Owls are able to replace that in uh, 2023. Switching to the other side of the Shula Bowl, FIU is a few big names in there for them. We've talked about Tyrese Chambers. He's still in the portal. Very interested to see where he goes. Staying on the offensive side of the ball, tight end Rivaldo Fairweather. He had a, a fantastic year, was a big part of – you know, just the offensive growth that this team showed um, in terms of statistics. Um, I, I, we just saw him grow so much uh, in terms of his ability as a pass catcher. Uh, I believe 
yeah. So this year, 28 catches, 426 yards, three catch, uh, three touchdowns rather. Um, and that's up from 16 catches for 247 yards and a touchdown in 2021. So, uh, you know, he's been a pretty solid, he was a pretty solid, like second option as a tight end in 2020 and 2021. And then in 2022, um, it really just became a pretty critical part of that red zone offense for, uh, for Grayson James and the rest of that offense there. So I, I think he could at the very least make an impact at uh, another larger G five. I don't, I, you might disagree with me. He could be a P five guy, but I think he could, uh, you know, go to uh, a G five and be like the tight end, you know, he certainly could go to a G five and be the tight end, but I'm telling you right now, Rivaldo Fairweather is a power five tight end and a quite frankly, in terms of athleticism in NFL, tight end for anyone who's not seen Rivaldo Fairweather play you're talking about a kid who was 6'4 245 played one year of high school football um at Boyd Anderson was a basketball player and of course Joe ran to that conundrum that most 6'3 6'4 you know power forwards run into at high school it's yeah. like all right yeah I'm, I'm not getting any taller uh so I probably need to go hit the gridiron and, and use this big body there but someone who is still learning the position but Joe in terms of the reason I say he is a power five talent, mm-hmm. just go watch the middle Tennessee state game. Go watch the FAU game from 2021. Go watch a Liberty game from 2020 when he takes a 15, 20 yard reception and then races past the entire secondary. He is a legit four, 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 five tight end with that type of size and a player who, if you ask some FIU fans, a big part of their consternation this year when the offense ran to some lulls was they felt that he was mismanaged. They felt that while uh, Josiah Miamin was, you know, the tight end, the number one tight end for the majority of the year, and certainly a talented kid who tra- transferred from Iowa, uh, so uh, a former three-star recruit, definitely a talented player in his right. The way you saw Rivaldo Fairweather use Joe the last game of the year against Middle Tennessee when they had a lot of receivers out, the aforementioned Tyrese Chambers uh, was injured and then hit the portal, was putting him in the slot and just seeming like, yo, you're 6'4", 245 and can run. That's a mismatch. Go make plays. And, Joe, I don't remember the exact numbers he said he had this past year. I know it was something like 26 catches for 400 and some yards and a few scores. The shocking thing about it is mm. – and I'm, I'm spitballing here. You can look up the game logs while I'm talking, but – I believe eight of those catches for 130 something yards. And I know three touchdowns came against middle Tennessee. And then on the final drive against Louisiana tech, it it was the the Louisiana tech game. Yeah. Cause I was the back. Yeah. On the final drive drive against Louisiana tech, Joe, he had no catches for 55 minutes of that game. And then in the final drive in overtime, six or seven catches for a hundred and something yards and a score. So what's that, you know, over 50, 60% of his receptions came in two games, you know? Mm -hmm. So Rivaldo Fairweather is absolutely a a power five tight end. And he already has offers from uh, Auburn's been very interested. I I just saw Maryland, um, a couple others. So uh, I believe LSU is another one. So Rivaldo is going to end up in the power five more than likely. But as to your point, he could easily walk into a group of five school and be the number one target not just amongst tight ends, but probably, you know, receiving target in general. So keep an eye on him. Yeah. Excellent points about his production. Do you feel anything similar for FIU linebacker, Gaithan Bernadelle, who's in the portal, supposedly getting transfer, uh, getting offers from Florida state and some other similar programs. Yeah. Gaithan's another one who 
from a physical perspective, Joe, he's listed at 6'1", 215, so not the biggest linebacker. However, what you have to be impressed by is a kid who started the final six games of the 2021 year as a freshman due to uh, some injuries on the on the linebacking court for FIU. And if you just look at the final six games that he started, averaged something like eight and a half, nine tackles per game, which if he had played the whole year, would have landed him amongst the top 15 tacklers in Conference USA. That's in a 4-3 scheme. He plays this year in a 3-4 that FIU employed or deployed with Mike McIntyre, Javon DeWitt, and ends up second in the conference in tackles. And he, quite frankly, was the linebacker who I was most... <laughs> I don't want to use the word concern, concerned, but intrigued by for FIU because they had another linebacker, Donovan Manuel, who uh, I believe was you know some like seventh or eighth in the league in tackles uh, this year, who is a bigger body who played in a three four, and you thought he was going to be the guy, given the defensive switch, who would lead the team in tackles. But again, Gaithan as a smaller guy, I say that in air quotes at six one two fifteen, you know didn't really affect him, and he still made plays behind. Uh, at or behind the line of scrimmage as well. So definitely think he's going to get some power five interest, had some of that coming out of high school. And and I definitely think that, you know, now with two years of college ball underneath his belt uh, with room to bulk on that frame, he, he should land in the power five as well. Based on the offers that we've seen get talked about on, you know, the major sites, that would certainly make sense. Any other names coming out of the portal or coming into the portal rather from CUSA that you're make your ears perk up? Yeah, the last one I know uh, probably should touch on a little bit here is Elijah Spencer. Tough break for Charlotte. They lose Grant DeBose to the portal, who's definitely going to go power five. In my mind, I thought, you know, he could have went NFL if he wanted to. They lose Vic Tucker, of course, has exhausted his eligibility. And Vic, one of the great players in CUSA history. And they lose a kid who was the CUSA freshman of the year last year and then parlayed that into almost a thousand yard year. And again, Joe, I, I I know that Charlotte was down a lot this year. So a lot of that receiving production, you, you have to take with a grain of salt. But with that being said, Joe, he led the team in reception in receiving yards this year with Grant DeBose and Vic Tucker on that team. So Elijah Spencer, legit burner, can run 4 4 4 5. He's going to end up somewhere in the power five in, in my mind as well. So definitely another name to keep an eye on. I'm very curious to see where both those guys go. I think both, like you said, both of those guys could easily be power five players. You know, Eric, you mentioned the the passing of coach Mike Leach, which is obviously a very sad thing in college football. And we're seeing, you know, people from his coaching tree continue to rise to the ranks. And one of those is entering uh, CUSA at the very last second, right before North Texas makes the jump to the AAC. But uh, Eric Morris, who was most recently the offensive coordinator at Washington State, had the number one offense in the Pac-12 in 2022 actually and uh, before that was actually a very good fcs coach at incarnate word um he's going to be the new guy at north texas to replace seth luttrell a lot of similarities between the two but uh frankly i think it's a pretty good hire your initial impressions of that hire for north texas i think it's a great hire i I think again joe for me i don't know how you feel about this but if you're going to take one of those jobs in Texas, uh, a G5 job, I, I look at G.J. Kinney, uh, who got the job at Texas State, Eric Morris here at North Texas, Jeff Trailer at UTSA. I do think, Joe, it's imperative. You don't have to be a Texan, but if you are a Texan who you played your high school football there and played college there and you've built up some roots and connections, I, I think it's very important because you have to be able to recruit that state well. It's just a fact of the matter. You look at Incarnate Word. They had some success uh, when he was there and obviously followed up with G.J. Kinney. 
Uh, you talked about the the Mike Leach influence. He played for Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Uh, don't think, yeah, no, he did not serve under Mike Leach when Mike Leach was there, but did serve under Mike Leach at Washington State mm-hmm. uh, in 2012. And then, of course, went back there as the offensive coordinator this year. So, it, it, again, I think it's a great hire. I was a little conflicted with the firing of Seth Luttrell, I'll be honest with you, but that had nothing to do with – that had more to do with what I believed – were the parameters that a were set for Seth Luttrell and B I still kind of feel weird about, okay, so you fired him because they, they went what seven and six or if memory serves me correct um, this year uh, with, you know, the, the bowl game left. It does that mean he had to win the bowl game or win both win win the CSA title game. And then the bowl game, does it matter if he wins one and loses the other? Uh, it, 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 that felt kind of wishy-washy to me. Maybe a lot of that has to do with Ren Baker. Um, you know, leaving and then he had no cover. But with that being said, I, I think it's a great hire by North Texas and really intrigued to see uh, how Eric Morris fares. Yeah, the word of the day in that situation was power move. <laughs> if, we're, <laughs> sure. if, we're, if we're smashing words together, because um, I think it's two words. But anyway, yeah, I, I like it. Um, I think it's great they went with a Texas native for sure. Um, recently, I what intrigues me about this is those Washington state offenses obviously throw like a billion times a game and North Texas really kind of found their groove the last two seasons with the running game. So I'm interested to see how much of that changes under Morris here. I don't think they need to um, divert from what they've been doing too much. Cause obviously they kind of found something that works there, but at the same time, you can't really argue with what Morris did either, especially at the at the P five level, playing against some of those uh, some pretty good defenses there in the Pac twelve, uh, in the Pac twelve, and in the FCS at Incarnate Word, and just you know really throughout his uh, his coaching tenure because he was an assistant at uh, Houston too, and obviously at Texas Tech as for a while there too. Uh, he's done some great things, so I'm just curious to see where they go uh, offensively as a program following this hire. Yeah, that's the thing that I'll be intrigued as well, because we saw where they were with Mason Fine, you know, being a little more of a, of a, you know, kind of throw the ball around the yard team. Then they shifted when they didn't really find that quarterback that they felt could follow that up. So I will be interested to see where they go and kind of a shift. It seems back in the other direction. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of my thought there. All right, then with that, let's jump into some bowl talk for this weekend. Bowl season starting this Friday uh, morning with UAB and the Miami of Ohio Redhawks playing each other in the Bahamas Bowl down in Nassau at Thomas A. Robinson, Thomas A. Robinson National Stadium at 11.30 Eastern in the morning on ESPN. Blazers minus 11 heading into this game. And this is a big one for Dwayne McBride, kind of the last uh, you know film opportunity, I guess, before we see what he does uh, at the next level here, I think you'll have a pretty good day against this Miami team. If you don't know a lot about this Miami team, there's definitely talent here, but they have been just ravaged by injuries for most of this season. So for them, it's definitely an opportunity to kind of see what uh, some of these guys uh, who are going to get uh, those actual 
you know, opportunities to play now are. Um, you got Avion Smith playing quarterback for them who didn't really uh, play a ton behind Brett Gabbert um, for most of the year, but Gabbert was one of those guys who was dealing with a lot of injuries throughout the season. So keep an eye on him. He's a pretty good dual threat guy, and that should be an interesting test for this UAB defense. Joe, before we get into that game, because, you know, I think everything you said there is is, is really spot on, especially with uh, Avion Smith coming in there, uh, definitely, as you mentioned, a dual threat guy, you know, did lead that team in passing with, with Gabbert's being injured, but mm-hmm. you've never been to Thomas Robinson Stadium by any chance, have you? I have never been to the Bahamas. It's one place uh-huh. I would really love to go. Okay, well, our Emily Van Buskirk and our de, uh, de facto girls trip. I, I kid, I kid, Em. Uh, if you can believe it, and, when we was like, who wants to go to the Bahamas Bowl? Emily just like shoving the rest of the staff out of the way. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Emily will be on site covering that game for us. Uh, but it is, <laughs> how do I say this politely? Um, it's a I've seen it on TV. It looks, it, you know, it's not the most impressive in terms of architecture. It's not the most impressive in terms of architecture. And um, I, I will say this. Maybe things have improved in, in the past few years. When I covered that that game, when FIU played there in 2018, uh, Joe, there were people who were just like finding their way in through like different crevices of the stadium, like in the third quarter. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a that that's pretty interesting. But listen, I, I can't say that that's um, – there, there are certain stadiums in the U.S., that like, I, I guess not to put it all in the Bahamas, Joe, uh, I'll just, I'll sum it up to you this way. I, I covered what, six road games this year. And I only had a, a bag check done at one stadium. So and sometimes it can be pretty easy to get inside of a stadium in general. <laughs> I mean, this, all this only makes me want to go more like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> undoubtedly. Uh, I guess I should give my, my, actual analysis of this game here yeah. no in my mind i think we're gonna see a lot of Dwayne mcbride I, I i am you know picking uab to win this game again not that miami ohio uh you know certainly a, a very solid team coming out of the mac but um i think uab is going to lean on what they do on their bread and butter and it'd be a nice way to kind of close what's been a bit of a disappointing year but it, it when it comes to bowl games for me joe i don't know how you feel about it um I think it's a matter of which team has the best player on the field and Dwayne McBride is the best player on the field. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the, just the fact that this year, these are two six and six teams who kind of underachieve for different reasons. I think the fact that UAB is coming into this game, mostly healthy. And with the fact that all of their, um, you know, they have guys on this team who, definitely still have things to prove as far as their pro capabilities and the fact that they're playing for Brian Vincent and what is most likely going to be his last game with the UAB program. So that's going to be fun to watch. Um, little nice little uh, morning kickoff there for you. And then that same day, 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, we got the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl in uh, Orlando, Florida. You know, the classic <laughs> bowl game in Florida named after a city in Minnesota, I guess. But anyway, um, number 24, Troy. Very good team against another very good team. And number 25, UTSA. I love that this shook out the way it did. Sun Bowl champion versus Conference USA champion. The Trojans right now minus one and a half as of... Tuesday, December 13th. We'll see if that line shifts at all as we get closer to Friday. But big names to watch in this one for folks that aren't familiar with Troy. Carlton Marshall, the FBS leader in career tackles. uh, Guy who's short in stature, but has just plays with maximum effort, as you can probably imagine. Uh, John Sumrall, he was an assistant at Kentucky, but this is his first season at the helm there. Led them to 11-2. and Was actually one of, I believe... 
four FCS coaches to win at least or FBS coaches rather to win at least 11 games in their first season with a program this year and up there with a lot of very big names. He's got that program going in a great direction. But then again, so does uh, Jeff Trailer, as we've talked about a lot. Um, ultimately, I think UTSA, I think they have a really good chance to win this game. I think they just have far more weapons on the offensive side of the ball, which is kind of the same analysis that I made with a lot of their Conference USA opponents this year. Um, I think if they can just get Frank Harris comfortable early and establish some momentum there with those passing weapons, Zakari Franklin, those guys that we know they have, I think they'll be fine. Yours truly will be in the house at Exploria Stadium. One of my favorite bowl games to cover, Joe. This will be year three or four. I can't remember which right now. I should look at my wall of credentials see if I can do the math here pretty quickly. But um, it's a great venue. Uh, I've covered it at Exploria Stadium, covered it at the, uh, I don't know what they call the Citrus Bowl these days. I can't remember the, this damn uh, naming rights, but the what it was known. World the, Stadium where Amping the, World. Where the soccer World. team plays, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. The soccer team, they now play, they play at Exploria now. That, that, that's, the huh. soccer, that's the soccer specific stadium. Oh, okay. Yeah, which actually, I'm actually glad you mentioned that because one of the you know kind of um, idiosyncrasies uh, about playing that game at Exploria is the end zones are very tight. <laughs> you probably got about three or four yards between the back of the end zone and what would be you know kind of like that wall there, you know, for um for seating. So that does make it unique. But nevertheless, one of my favorite bowl games to cover the folks there at the uh, Orlando Sports Foundation do a great job. And uh, a very great matchup, as you talked about. We got the CUSA champs versus the Sunbelt champs. This is one that I can't say, you know, best player on the field, because you got two studs, Carlton Marshall and Frank Harris. And I think that's going to be a matchup to watch. Uh, would definitely expect another 12, 13, 14, 15 tackle performance from Carlton Marshall and what would be his final game. And Frank Harris looking to guide his runners into the offseason with a victory. My gut says UTSA, but again, really liking what John Summerall to be able to do there at Troy. Uh, we'll be interested to see what the quarterback situation shakes out, right? Because we've seen both Gunnar Watson and Jarrett Dagey this year. So mm-hmm. definitely going to be interested in that. But again, a, a really good matchup, and I will be there. That's a 3.30 Eastern kickoff at Exploria Stadium. Yeah, I think it's going to be Gunnar Watson starting. I don't see any reason why it, it wouldn't be. Jared Dagey has played um, in a few key moments when Gunnar Watson had, was a little banged up earlier this year. But he Gunnar Watson, I believe he was the MVP of the Sunbelt Championship yeah. when they beat Coastal yeah. Carolina a few weeks ago. And he seems seems good to go here. So I don't see any reason he wouldn't play. But uh, that was a weird storyline <laughs> to follow throughout the year. Uh, but yeah, Troy's only minus one and a half, so that one could really go either way. But I, I'm certainly picking UTSA, and maybe I'm a CUSA homer, but whatever. Um, Saturday, Lending Tree Bowl. I know, uh, I believe rather, uh, Steve Helwick is going to try to cover this one for us. We got Southern Miss and Rice playing two uh, old CUSA conference rivals here. We have USM minus six and a half playing at Hancock Whitney Stadium in Mobile, home of Southern Al- or home of South Alabama. Usually um, it's going to be fun to see Southern Miss again. I-, I like watching them play a lot. They have improved immensely this year. Uh, Frank Gore Jr. is who he is. Obviously sounds like AJ Paget is going to get the start at quarterback for Rice this weekend. Uh, I know they've kind of flip-flopped between him and uh, who's their other quarterback? Help me. Uh, they've played a few guys this year. It's been Wyler Green, um, uh, uh, Shakri, uh, 
I mispronounced his name, Shakri Itrish. Oh, that's I butchered that. Um, they've played quite a few guys, but yeah, those are the those are the other two. Uh, yeah, but and then also keep an eye out for Brad Rosner out at wideout. He's played really well this year. If they can get some deep balls to him, that'll certainly help Rice's case. But ultimately, I think. USM is is just the more athletic team. I think they're finally in a place where most of their team is actually healthy. Uh, and, you know, no matter what they do, I think they, or no matter how this game goes, rather, I think um, that athleticism is what's going to get them to victory here. Joe, please bear with me just because I'm a stickler for names. I have gone to the Rice game notes. I'm going to the pronunciation guide. I want to get his name right. Shoki Itrash is how that is pronounced. Um, okay, but he should be the second leading passer for Rice. He obviously uh, played down the stretch the last few games, but as mentioned, Wiley Green and AJ Padgett are the others. Nevertheless, <laughs> let's get back to this game here. Yeah, uh, for Rice, it, it's interesting because they come into this game five and seven. Definitely not. You know, I, I'm sure they're probably viewed like you know the the team that was seven and nine or seven and ten and makes a a wild card spot <laughs> maybe the the nfc south of this year mm-hmm. but rice is a good football team we've talked about it right they they did have some games uh this year where they lost by a score north texas is one uh louisiana tech is another you know they had quite a few games i don't want to say three games this year uh houston that they lost by a score or less so they could very easily come to this game as a seven and five eight and four type of team and that gives me, um, you know, reason that if you're Southern Miss, they should come into this game with definitely not with a, uh, you know, inflated ego or anything like that. Want to touch on the Golden Eagles really quick, Joe, because obviously they yeah. were a Conference USA member for you know really since the, the league's inception, and now they're they're in the Sun Belt. Got to give credit to Will Hall. We talk a lot about him over the past what two years or so that they were part of the uh, conference U.S. under his tenure and how he's really tried to change the culture there um, in Hattiesburg. And they had a, a, a lot of injuries at the quarterback position during his first year. Those did not stop this year, Joe. It, 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 they've been snake bitten at the quarterback position, but he's found a way to get his team to six wins. So look out for that program, you know, on the Sun Belt as they eventually try to get some quarterback stability. Uh, I am picking Southern Miss to win because I think they have the best players. You talk about Brad Rosner and Luke McCaffrey for Rice, Jason Brownlee, Frank Gore Jr., uh, studs on the offensive side. And I think they just are going to be a little bit too much, but should be a good matchup. Yeah, that quarterback position has been tough to to keep healthy for them. Uh, Zach Wilkie, Trey Lowe, Ty Keys are all guys who have had uh, time at that spot this year. And, of course, he had Frank Gore in the backfield quite a bit as well. Uh, he ran the ball 207 times for over 1,000 yards this year, seven touchdowns to that effect. And, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe that Jason Brownlee – in the receiver core is one of those guys that's going to get a significant NFL attention. once we get closer to that part of, you know, draft season and, and early uh, 2023. But yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about what Will Hall has done with that program in terms of culture. Like you mentioned, in terms of just actually getting that, uh, that team to kind of believe in themselves, despite all the adversity they faced in the last two, three years here. And also on Saturday, December 17th, the North Texas mean green do not have far to travel for their 
postseason bowl here. The Frisco Bowl happening at Toyota Stadium there, which I believe is the home of FC Dallas. Uh, they will play Boise State, a 9-4 and four Mountain West team who had a, a tough start to the year, but uh, really showed a ton of improvement as the year kind of went on there. Uh, Boise minus 10.5 heading into this game with an over-under set at 58. Uh, you know, this is going to be a huge test for the guys that are still on this North Texas roster. Um, for Boise, I mean, the thing that I'm watching for is is Taylor Green, right? Like he was kind of the guy that came in and really just re-energized that Boise offense all year. He's a really strong uh, running type quarterback. Um, he's raw, needs to get it honed in a little bit in terms of his passing accuracy, but he he has an arm. He's one of those guys, so we'll see how he progresses over the course of his college career. But North Texas, I mean, we've talked about them all year. They have a fantastic running game. Uh, they have the Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year in KD Davis, so he's no doubt going to be uh, – I, I really think if it will behoove them to have him focus on green and try to limit his you know, broken play – big gain opportunities as much as possible along with the rest of that defense. Um, I think Boise is going to win just because I, I think a green is, is really fantastic. And I've having watched a lot of their games this year, because they're one of those teams that's always on TV in the Pacific Northwest. They've improved a ton top to bottom. I think they're the most improved team in the G five this year in terms of like from the start of the season to now, but uh, you know, North Texas, no shame in what they've done. And it'll be fun to see Phil Bennett get a head coaching opportunity again. Yeah. Uh, for me, the reason I am picking Boise is because of what you said now, you know, could have the proverbial rallying of the troops there in North Texas. And like you said, nicely Phil Bennett as the head man again, but in my mind, while definitely probably the premier bowl game that and the UTSA Troy game, probably the two premier bowl games as far as CUSA of, of this weekend in terms of, you know, premier top matchups. Uh, in my mind, I think Boise State is the better team. What we've seen from North Texas this year, they've looked great in moments, but also looked very inconsistent in others. And I just don't know if they can, you know, kind of corral the troops heading into a bowl game. Yeah, you hope they can. And, you know, as a CSA homer, you hope they can. But in my mind, Boise has been a better team throughout the year, and they should get the bowl win. It's going to be a really fun start to bowl season. We're going to have more after that. We have South Alabama and Western Kentucky playing later next week. And then on Christmas Eve, we have San Diego State and Middle Tennessee State playing in Hawaii. And then we're also going to talk about the Liberty Bowl a little bit on the next episode. So watch out for that next week. I think that's all we have right now in terms of news. Any other holiday wishes you want to bestow upon our uh, our folks right now as we head into the second or third Sunday of Advent? I'm not going to pretend like I have, I still keep track of that, but <laughs> uh, at least you, you you cop to it, Joe. No, just want to wish all of our listeners out there again as it's the start of uh, quite a few holiday seasons. I, I believe the next time we will tape uh, Hanukkah will be underway. So for those of you who participate, happy Hanukkah. Um, everything under the sun that is out there. Um, enjoy the holiday season just because you're talking with two people who you know, <laughs> we, we tend to look forward to a New Year's. But with that being said, and, and I think Joe and I both are um, very, you know, loud proponents of Thanksgiving as a superior holiday. Yep. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's why you chimed in there. No, all of you, um, happy holidays. And I look forward to talking to you again when we tape on next week. Eric, to give you a insight into my New Year's plans, I will be in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. It will no doubt be freezing. And I somehow got roped into going to a magic show. We'll see how this goes. A magic show. There's yeah. 
in yeah in the south side of chicago so i will see i'm really excited to see what this is i'm going to turn the recording off and then i will comment afterwards <laughs> happy football everybody we'll talk to you soon